You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org.
child is born to the day they graduate, you have 936 weeks. 936 weeks of soccer practice and homework and teaching them to use deodorant. 936 weeks to instill values, to build character, and to prepare them to face the world. You want to be a great parent, and we are here to help with each moment of your parenting goals. Driving your fourth grader to practice, saying goodbye to your 10th grader as he is walking out the door, eating tacos in the kitchen with your 7th grader, tucking your toddler in at night. These moments happen every week, and we want you to be aware of the time you have left, because when you are, you do more with the time you have now. We cue you with easy, just-in-time ideas of things to say, things to do, and things to think about to connect with the heart of your child. Our cues are grounded in God's big story, so your child can discover the power of faith in those everyday moments of life. Every cue fits the context of your child's developmental phase. We cue you when your high schooler won't leave their room, your middle schooler won't pick up their clothes, your two-year-old won't stop talking. We help you understand these moments, and we help you connect. You only have 936 weeks. You can't afford to waste them. Parent Q, helping you be the parent you want to be. Download it for free today. Wow, you guys, only 936 weeks. That sounds like, it sounds like a lot, but when I looked at my Parent Q app, mine had only, I wrote it down so I wouldn't mess it up, 464 weeks. And that's, it's like half over, you guys. That made me so sad. And I have a 10-year-old little girl, and she's a preteen, so I can definitely use some parenting advice. So if you have any, let me know. I do have my Parent Q app. So you guys, this is a great opportunity for some advice, parenting advice, or also to partner with us here at Kensington CT. My name is Christina Kirsch. I am the elementary creative programmer here. And did you know that we have a full curriculum, birth through fifth grade? You might not know that. But the Parent Q is going to give you an opportunity to get connected with us, with how to be an intentional parent, and also with our curriculum, how to build them up in Jesus. So if you want to go on the Google app or um, the Play Store, go ahead and download that. You may already have it, and if you do, you are probably on the Troy campus. So you guys are going to want to switch over because we separated it between campuses, so now there's a CT campus. So you'll go on and switch over to CT. So we have some fun stuff coming up for the fall, and some of that is in K-Kids. Um, we are doing our Move Up, so that is uh, Step Up. It is circus theme. It's going to be really cute. We have something really special for the kindergartners. We've invited kindergarten parents to stay so that you can see what our small group leaders do and what we do in our large group, which is our children's church. Everybody is going to be moving up into the grade they're going to be in the fall. So... Just make sure you do that September 11th. We also have the launch of our students' ministry September 11th, and that is Breakaway 6th through 8th grade, and that's at um, 4 to 6 on Sundays. And then we have Edge 9th through 12th grade, and that's 6.30 to 8.30 on Sundays. Uh, students have the opportunity to connect with community and with one another. We have an amazing, amazing student ministries team. Um, they make it really fun. There's games. Um, they're super silly, but it's also really personable. So we just encourage you guys to get your students involved in that. If you have any questions, you can head out these doors and to the great room and our student ministries team will be standing over there to answer any questions for you. If you are new or you have any questions about what I talked about, if you have any questions about the app or anything like that, um, if you have any questions about serving, uh, you can go ahead and step out these doors. And in the center of our lobby is the hub. You'll look for the people in the orange shirts. They will be able to direct you um, in the way to go and try to answer any questions. And like I said, if you're new, we have a little something for you that you're going to want to go ahead and pick up. So today is the final uh, day for Psalm 23, and if you were able to engage in the devotional, I hope that you loved it. It was amazing. If you were not, there's a QR code that's going to be on here. Go ahead and scan that. Check out the devotionals and the original song that was written for this series. It's amazing. You won't regret it, so go ahead and download that. Um, today is Name Tag Sunday. We do that the first week of every Sunday. Uh, our question today was, 
what was your favorite subject in school? So in order to get connected, we're going to want you to shake hands, give a fist bump, give a hug uh, to people around you and let them know what your favorite subject was. Mine was history, by the way. shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me into paths of righteousness for his namesake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
That was pretty good. Wow, 9 a.m. on a holiday. Super solid. If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, you're getting pretty familiar with that song. And I just have to say, for me, I really, really enjoy it. Because not only does it capture the essence of Psalm 23, I think what it also does is it very vividly and detailed speaks to us about the way that Jesus and the way that God feels about every single one of us. Like we could go through that song line by line and for the next 30 minutes we would break down what it says and what it dictates and be reminded of what we talked about for a couple of weeks and what David was trying to communicate to us through this words and it would be so good and such a refresher. But since we only have 30 minutes, just to kind of recap what we've talked about, I want to pull out a couple of lines and talk a little bit about how they speak to me. And my hope is actually you go home, we have this on our website and you'll listen to it again and maybe you'll sit in some of those phrases raises a little bit. Maybe you'll sit in some of the words of the song and you'll just quietly listen and see what it is that God wants to say to you. But the very first thing that I think of is the opening line of the psalm and the opening line of this song. It says, God, you're my shepherd. And the reason that is such a good thing is because of the character that God has and how he views every single one of us. You see, if we have a shepherd who's cross and he's harsh and he uses the rod not to protect us, but rather to strike us and to move us along, then that's not really a shepherd that anybody wants to follow. But that's not the way God looks at us. That's not the way he views us. As we read through the song, we're reminded of the shepherd that takes that rod to protect us, to stand in front of us. And then he has that staff as a crook in it to bring us back into fellowship with him. We have a shepherd that takes us in moments of our lives and he puts us in these green pastures by these pools of still water because he knows there's moments and events that are coming down into our life that are going to be so hard and so challenging. And if we haven't prepared in a certain way, the way we respond is going to be dramatically worse. And then the shepherd walks right beside us in the valley of the shadow of the death. He doesn't remove himself from the situation. He's there and able to walk beside us. And even in moments, he puts tables in front of us where I believe that he stands in front of the enemy who wants to pursue us, who wants to come after us in order to take us deep and further down. And he says, not today, not in this moment. I'm here and I'm going to give them a breath. And he never leaves. He never moves beside. And the next line I really love is that phrase, Jesus, you pursue me. Right, That Jesus is constantly moving, constantly coming after us. Listen, I don't care if you've been a follower of Jesus for decades. Like from birth to the end of life, you've been in church, you know who he is, you got saved at five, six, or seven years old, which is an awesome testimony. Or if you're somebody who's just starting to learn with him, or maybe you're here and you have no idea if you're even sold out on this Jesus thing. You're not sure if he was real, if he was God, or anything he says about himself, regardless of where we fall on that continuum. Jesus pursues us, and he pursues us because he understands the brokenness of this world, and he wants to come alongside of us. And those things lead us to understand that we have a shepherd that loves us deeply. He has a deep care and concern for every single one of us because what is my favorite part of this song, the third line, it says, brokenness redeemed by your saving grace. I'm sanctified and I'm justified. If you hang around this place for any amount of time, you will come to hear me say something like this pretty quickly. For those of you that have been here with me for the past 10 months, you've probably heard me say it a several dozen times. You see, the world we exist in in its broken state is not what God intended for us. In his intention, he created a garden, this wonderful place with no sin, with no fear, with no doubt, with no tears, any of that. But he set up a way for us to choose who we wanted to follow. And humanity stepped outside of that and broke the only rule, the only thing that we weren't supposed to do. And because of that, sin and the brokenness that we all now experience entered in. And in that moment, God had a decision to make. He could have decided to step out to let us reside in our brokenness and deal with it by ourselves, but he didn't do that. Rather, in the greatest act of love ever, he set up a system and a plan where he would send his son, the good shepherd, to redeem us, to get in the way of our brokenness. You see, that's what it means when it says that we're justified. Justification is that moment where we decide 
that our life is no longer about us, that we're following somebody else. And in that moment, that's when God comes to dwell inside of us. And sanctification is just a big word for the process of us through life, in our day-to-day, in our moment-to-moment, becoming more like Jesus. Our brokenness redeemed, the sin, the things that we do wrong, fixed by God's grace. And the reason he pursues us, and all of that is because he's a good shepherd who genuinely loves us. But as we know, in spite of that, in spite of all of the goodness that we hear in this text, our world is still broken. God knew that. David knew that when he wrote this text. And maybe it makes me wonder, I think one of the things that was on God's mind when he came to David in some kind of way and had him pen this poem was he knew that every single one of us would need to be comforted. He knew with the brokenness and the experience that life presses in and pushes at us, there would be moments where he would need to step in and to help us. And I want to take a little bit of time and explore that idea of God's comfort here today. But before we do that, I want to take a moment to receive our offering this morning. And let me start by saying, hey, if you're a guest, or maybe this is your second or third time here, we don't want you to feel any obligation that you need to participate in this part of our uh, series or message today. We're just so thankful for you are here. But those of you who are sold out to Jesus and this is the place, this is the church you're a part of to take that message forward. We want to thank you for what it is that you do. And I have a little update. Over the past couple of weeks, you've seen us with some videos about our budget coming forward and elders. And last Sunday we had a vote. Well, that was confirmed by an overwhelming majority. I think it was 95%, yep, confirmed the budget and 93% confirmed the elders. And I just want to tell you what that means for me. I'm excited. I'm excited because we've set the next next year, we've put it in motion with what we're going to be teaching, what we're going to be talking about, and the way that we're running forward and pressing into this word. And what that tells me is the overwhelming majority of you are on board with us, and we are ready to move forward. So thank you for what you do, because I'm pretty pumped to see what it is that God's going to do in the next 12 months because of the people who have committed to this place and who's going to walk into a relationship with Jesus, who's going to go deeper with him because people who are sold out said, I'm going to be involved. So if you want to give today, you know we have a box in the back. You can text the number on the screen, download the app, or go to our website. And thank you for what you do, because none of this happens without the church, the body, all of us coming together. Let's pray before we jump into the text today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. And really, I'm thankful for those numbers, because what that means is there's a bunch of people who are a little geeked out like me. and ready to go into what you have for us this year. I pray that as we move forward, some great things would happen in your kingdom. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's go back to this idea of comfort for a minute. See, as we've said, and every single one of us realizes, we know life gets hard. There's moments where it's challenging and our circumstances dictate that the way we respond won't always be the best, right? And here's the problem in some capacity when that happens. When life gets hard and we're put in those situations, we tend to forget. Any forgetters in here? I know I'm a forgetter. Yeah, some of you popped up right away. The rest of you, don't worry. We're, We're forgetters. You'll come alongside with us. But that's what we do, right? We look at circumstances and we think, man, this is hard. And because of it, all I can do is focus my attention on the thing that's happening in front of me that's bad. And I tend to forget maybe what's happened for me in my past because all I can see is the circumstances that I am in in this moment. And I want to tell you, David experienced that as well. David was probably keen into that more than many or most any of us here in this room. And while he's sitting in that moment, God has a message for him. And it's a poem that he has him write, which is what we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. Because David, just like every single one of us, was able to forget. And if you know anything about David's story, there's a time later in his life when life is grand and he makes one of the biggest mistakes he ever made. And I was talking with some guys in the prayer room this morning. I think he made that mistake because he was actually in a season of ease. See, sometimes we hope and we wish for the good times, but I wonder, again, in God's goodness, if there's, there's, in his goodness, if there's so much more for us in these seasons of hard. But again, we all forget. And listen, you're not alone. Like, I forget. I have spiritual amnesia. If you read through the pages of the Bible, you will quickly see and find people that were great at forgetting, just like us. Matter of fact, Jesus' own disciples, the apostles, those 12 men were pretty good at forgetting. 
Has anybody in here, I'm sure many of you have, heard of the miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children, so probably 10, 20,000 people with just some bread and fish? Remember? Give me a hand. Okay, most of you. How many of you know that that's not the only time in the Bible that he did that miracle? Yeah, so less hands. So there's another time in scripture, a little bit later, where Jesus is in another one of these situations where people have been following, they've been hearing his message, and he has sympathy on them because he's worried about them getting home not full. So what he does is he takes just bread this time and he feeds another great mass of people. But in the interaction he has with his apostles, when he tells them, I want to do something for them, we get to see their forgetfulness just like we had some. It's in Matthew chapter 15, verse 32 and 33, and this is how it goes. It says, Jesus calls his disciples to him and he said, I've got compassion on all these people. They've been with me for three days. They've had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they could collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Now, a little context for that statement. That's, this is happening after he's already fed people with bread and fish. Not only has that happened, but if you go through and you count all of the miracles and these crazy things that Jesus has done, there's 23 things that each disciple has seen. And now they come to this moment, and when Jesus says, I want to feed people, what's the response? You ain't going to figure that out, right? They'd seen it happen. They were there for the hours it took where Jesus kept breaking food off into baskets and they distributed out to thousands and thousands of people. Yet in this moment where he says, hey, let's do something for them, their mind can't remember what it was that had happened before. And where I said it's 23 miracles, I actually believe the number was far more than that. Because if you read the end of the Gospel of John, which is one of the people who followed Jesus, he says this, and it's a little poetic, but it rings true as well. He says, if we were to write down all of the miracles, all of the events that Jesus participated in, I would imagine that there's not enough pages and books in the world to detail what it was that he had done. But in spite of all of that, in this moment, they are caught up in forgetfulness. And the point is, just like we forget, they can forget too. I've suffered from spiritual amnesia in my life. About seven years ago, my wife and I were pursuing our adoption. And over the course of that time, my body broke down. I don't have a picture, but um, my entire upper torso was covered in hives and rash, and it was really aggravating. And it wasn't a week, it wasn't a month, it was almost two years. It was almost two years where every day I woke up, and the ag- I can remember going to bed, and the only time I felt comfort was when I got in my sheets, and the coolness of them would kind of set in over my body. And I went to countless doctor's appointments, and they all told me the same thing. They didn't really know. They tested me for cancer. That wasn't it. Nobody had any idea what was going on, and as that waited and graded on me, I got pretty upset with the Lord. I was pretty frustrated that I couldn't find the thing that was going to help me through this. And I really wonder, in that context, in that moment, if I'd been a little bit better at looking back and remembering some of the ways that God had been faithful to me, not that I would have been totally fine with what was happening, not there wouldn't have been moments of frustration, but if I could have walked through it a little better than I did. Because here's the thing, when I got out of that season, when my story finally had a happy ending, because in one of the worst moments of my life, we actually figured out what was wrong with me I was then a little bit different and my story has a happy ending but now I look there and I think man what more could God have done with me if I'd been a little bit different in that season because truth is I just didn't handle that well I had amnesia and I would assume most of us in this room have moments that are very similar to my story where you didn't handle something as well as it could have you see in Psalm 23 6 part of what David is telling us is to look back in the rearview mirror Look back when you're in that moment of challenge, of hardship, and remember some of the things that God has done for us. Remember some of the ways he's moved us out of these challenging seasons, because if we do that, it can give us a little bit better of a concept, a little bit of an understanding of not only what we're in, but what we're moving to. You see, that's what David is describing in this text. That's what he says in Psalm chapter 23, verse 6, and this is how David finishes his psalm. Not while his situation is over, but while he is right in the middle of the worst time in his life. You know, David was probably hungry. He was probably tired. He probably had people who were angry at him. His men probably wanted to mutiny him all the time because they didn't have the basic needs. But in spite of all that, the way David closes his psalm is like this. Psalm chapter 23, verse 6. He says, 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How could David be in not a moment, but literally almost a decade of life existing like this and write those words? Like goodness and mercy, there is nothing in David's situation that jumps off to the page and strikes me for somebody to use the adjectives to describe as goodness and mercy. But that's what he uses. That's what he says. And the reason he does that is he is describing this steadfast love that God has. And it's important for us to take note of this because I think sometimes we think so much of our earthly relationships, right? And we think of love and how it's given, but how it's also taken back. Like sometimes we're in bad situations because people who love us change their mind. And some of you, some of us feel the brokenness and the hurt of that. And because of it, we struggle in these moments, right? We're told that love is actually not something that's steadfast. It's something that's temporary. And as quickly as it's been given to us, it can be pulled back. But that's not how God views us. And that's part of the message that David wants us to understand. He realized that God's love for him was just as great where he slung his sling at Goliath and went and cut his head off as it was in this moment where he was defeated down and on his home. And what he wants all of us to understand is this. God's love for us is steadfast. It is not unwavering. It is, it is unwavering. It is something that he never pulls back and takes away from us. Listen, and I, I, I hope this is encouraging. Like, listen, if you are in the valley of the shadow of death and you are handling it the worst way possible, like you've done everything wrong, the way God looks at every single one of us is no different than if we took that situation and handled it the best way possible. Last week, I was talking about King Saul and the one who was king before David and how God removed the mantle of leadership from his life. That wasn't because God loved him less. It wasn't that he's disappointed and now he hates Saul. And he says, well, you can't be king anymore. No, the consequences for Saul's actions was the stewardship of leadership was taken from him. But God never felt any different about Saul because of his obedience. Actually, I think it was his goodness and mercy that pulled him away from this. And that's hard. Because we never think of a situation where something that we want, something that we desire is taken from us that is actually part of goodness and mercy. But what I think David is communicating to us in this text is that's actually how it can happen. And if we're a follower of Jesus, if we're somebody who's sold out to God, there's a little bit more maybe in it for us as well. You see, if we're followers of Jesus and we're committed to doing life the way that David has outlined in this psalm, something inside of us should change. And what I'm coming to understand, man, these valleys are one of the best ways that God does that. And I know some of you were involved in this. Listen, one of my favorite things that I get to do and be as a, a pastor here in this church is hear some of the stories that people come and tell me. And I can remember, some of you, I, I remember the first time we met you. I'm sorry I don't remember your name. I'm really bad at that, but I'm trying to get better. But I can remember your face. And I can remember you coming up and sharing with me something happens in this room that you're walked into some experience and you may assert it to the band or to me or to somebody out there. And I'm telling you, that's not it. That's God showing up in this place and he's allowing you to experience him through these things. And you talk about how something's different here. And I'm like, yeah, God's showing up. I don't say that. But then the next week or a couple of weeks later, I see you with a couple of your friends. I see you with a couple of people that you love and care for because you're not even totally sure what it is, but you want them to experience the presence of God in the way that you have. Can I just tell you, that's something inside of you changing. That's something inside of you where you can remember the ways that God is faithful in this season and see it coming out of you. Some of you, I get an email every week and it tells us about the people that have created an online account and actually given to the church for the first time. And I respond to you and just tell you that's not an auto. That's me actually typing that out to you. But what I want you to understand is when you do that, that's something inside of you changing. You see, that is the steadfastness, the goodness of mercy in God. And when that comes inside of you, you can't be the same person that you were before. So you don't get it right every single time, but something inside of you starts to change. When you have interactions with people in work and you've been coming to church and you've been reading, and you've been listening and praying and try to get better. And all of a sudden, somebody does something to you that should set you off. 
and even give you permission to berate them or tell them why they're stupid or small or whatever it is. And you don't take that opportunity. That's because God's goodness and his mercy is inside of you. And what happens is when God comes inside of us, we can't help but keep it in. And at first it'll be little things, small things, like not snapping at somebody who has wronged you, but then it leads into different moments. And this is a journey that every single one of us are on in our lives. And that is what David is talking about in this psalm coming through us, even in the hardest and most difficult seasons of our lives. You see, goodness and mercy that follows us for as long as we live is lots more than just God doing for us. Yes, it starts that way. It starts with God doing for us and goodness and mercy filling us up. But as it gets in here, we can't hold it in any longer. And all of a sudden, you start acting and treating people in different ways. Does that mean you'd be perfect? No. This weekend, I had a fight with my wife. And you know what? It was at least 50% my fault. (laughs) What do you mean at least? I went a whole 50%. Right? But it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're right. It means we mess up. And we have to ask for forgiveness. I hadn't had it out of my head. So I snuggled up next to her and I said, hey, I'm sorry. I was an idiot. The way I spoke, the way I communicated, even if what I was saying wasn't wrong, the manner in which I delivered it was garbage. And you know what that is? That's God's goodness and mercy. When we're wrong and that something happens. Do you know what that does for my relationship? I have a question. When somebody apologizes to you, you think, what a jerk. No. Something happens which changes, which enhances. That's God's goodness and his mercy filling us up and coming outside of us. And see, in this moment, David is looking back on his life, the hardest season that he is in. And he's coming to this conclusion that God was in every single part. If you are here last week, I said that Brendan Manning gave a quote and he says that any person who is significantly used by God carries scars. But you know what God does? He comes alongside us and he starts to stitch that back together. And then out of our scars, we are able to do things for him and his kingdom to let other people know of this hope that we have inside of every one of us. David was convinced that God's goodness and mercy were present in his life, not just when it was good, not just when it was grand and everything was great, but also while he was hungry, probably living in a cave, had men clapping back at him in the most challenging season of our life. David was convinced that God was there and his goodness and his mercy existed with him. And we tend to think of life good life with goodness and mercy as adjectives only when it's great and easy, but that's not what David is saying about. You see, for David, it was important to look back and be reminded of what it was that he was going through. I wonder when David wrote this, if you look back to the moments of his life, so he goes back to the biggest one. Killing the giant Goliath. Because I've done this. I've never killed a giant, obviously, even though most people are bigger than me. So if I had killed somebody, it could be considered that. Right? But he thinks about it, and he says, what was I thinking? I was a teenager. I had a stick and a piece of leather with a couple of rocks, and I ran into this battle. And in that moment, he's reminded of the fire that God threw over him, that he just went, and he was so angry that somebody was challenging the army of the living God that he threw all reason and and normalcy and right thinking out of his mind, and he said, I'm going to defend it. And he looked back, and he says, oh, my gosh, God was there. He was with me. And in that moment, he's reminded of the goodness and the mercy that he has for him, not just when he was standing over the giant everybody's going way to go David great job but also in this moment where he's in the cleft of the rock he doesn't have enough food to eat he's got men who hate him and everything seems to be burling down on him but he's reminded that even in that moment God's goodness and his mercy is following him just like it was when he was a teenager standing over the body of his dead enemy you see here's what we all need to understand remembering is important. And like David, we all need to remember. We need to look back just for ourselves and remember the times that God's faithfulness was there for us. And this isn't something new. This is something that's been happening since the early parts of people's existence. When God's people were slaves in Egypt, there came a moment, right, where he leads them out. And after that happens, they're getting ready to go into this promised land. 
this place of milk and honey that's going to be great and awesome. But they have to cross this body of water called the Jordan, which was a river. But it was incredibly big. It was in flood stage. There's no way that they can traverse millions of people across. So what God does is he sends the Ark of the Covenant and the priest down and the water miraculously subsides and they all walk across on dry ground. But God knew these people would be apt to forget what it was that he had done for them. That the generations that came after wouldn't remember all of the things and the ways God had provided. So what he tells them is, I want you to take 12 stones, each representing the people groups of the nation. I want you to build an altar. And the reason I want you to do that is there's going to be days, there's going to be months, there's going to be seasons and weeks where you need to look back and remember. Your children and their children are going to need to remember the goodness and the faithfulness and the mercy of God. And this will sit is something that reminds them of that. So this is how it happened in Joshua 4, 7. He's speaking to them, Joshua, the people. He says, this is what we need to do. Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut back. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And what we can take from that passage is that every single one of us need to take moments and seasons on our life when we look back. And listen, I'm talking to people who follow Jesus, but if you're here and you're not sure about this, you're not sold out to Jesus, I believe with all of my heart he's done this for you as well. I would challenge you to go back into your life and think about some of the ways that things kind of went your way in challenging moments. And you just say, hey God, if you're real, would you show me something? Would you step into this and tell me if you were there? Because I believe that he actually was and that he will show that in order to show you this goodness and this mercy that David is talking about. But I also think it wasn't just that David looked back. David was also able to look forward and see what was coming. And because of that, it changed his mindset. You see, here's one thing. David understood where the story of his life was headed. And because of this, it changed the dynamic that he found himself in. Like, like just truth, if we know the outcome of something, does it make the process a little easier? Like if you're in a hard treatment or something happening, or say you break a bone and it's a pretty big deal, but somebody says, I can guarantee you this pain that you're going to go through is going to be worth it if you just hold on. It definitely changes the demeanor, the way that we go through some of these experiences we find ourselves in. And what David is letting all of us know is that we have that. We have that. There is going to be a day where God is going to care for it, but it does still make it challenging. But in my head, in my heart, I just wonder, if we look to that promise, if we look to that truth that God wants to communicate to every single one of us, would it make the journey, would it make the valley a little bit easier, a little bit not so rough if we could remember that, if we could remember that God's faithfulness, his goodness, and his mercy are leading to something. In John chapter 14, uh, Jesus tells his disciples that he's leaving, but in leaving, he's going to go prepare a place for them. He's basically saying, I'm going to go get your place ready. There's a day where you will come and you will be with me forever because you are followers of mine. And if you've committed your life to doing the things, to selling out for me, there's going to be a place that I have made for you. It's going to be great. It's going to be grand. And it's going to be awesome. But something different, there has to be something different about us to have that happen. Paul, in one of his letters to a church in Corinth, writes this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are, new, are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That does not mean you will be perfect. <laughs> it means there will be weekends where, just like me, you have a conversation with your wife about something stupid that you allow to escalate and mess up, and there's going to be a need for you to go back and say you're sorry for what it is that you have done. There's going to be moments where you get angry, when you get frustrated, whatever it is, and the way that you step is going to go right over the proverbial line. And because of that, you're going to have to say you're sorry, and that's okay. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if we have committed to that, there is going to be something different about us. And what that difference is, is that goodness and mercy welling up inside of us. It's us saying, my life is not exclusively about me. And as we walk through life, that sanctification process of us becoming more like Jesus is going to start to permeate out in us with hiccups, with mistakes, with mess-ups, with all of these things in the process, but something will be different about us. And I think part of what David is hoping in this is people would read this psalm that they would walk into that. 
not only for the men that knew God and followed him, but for the others that didn't, they would start to understand this and want to come into a relationship because there's a day where God's going to step in. He's going to step in and he's going to say, the brokenness of this world I will not permit anymore. There's a day where this is all coming to an end. John, that same apostle who walked with Jesus, wrote about it in Revelation 21.4, and this is what he says. He says, as in that day, he, Jesus, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning nor crying. I'm really looking forward to that. No pain anymore because the former things have passed away. That brokenness, the valleys and the shadow of death, they're going away. And what Jesus' invitation to everyone is, a continuation of David's message of Psalm 23, is that goodness and mercy I want to invite you into. I want you to be a part of it. And if it was just for the promise of heaven, that would be good enough, but it's not. It's actually so here and now in this life, in the hard that we experience so that he will walk beside us and we'll be able to have this thing that scripture calls an abundant life. I'm not even entirely sure what that means. I've got some good ideas and some good thoughts, but what I know is God is inviting us into his goodness and his mercy, even when it's hard even when it's challenging. And he does that because he pursues us, because he loves us, because he's a good shepherd. So if you've been here for three weeks or one or two, understand God is a shepherd that loves us and everything he does is order to move us to the place where we accept him as our king and as our savior so that this goodness and mercy that David talks about can follow us all the days of our life. Listen, I know that it's hard to remember it's hard to look back when we're in the middle of the thick of it, when we are trudging through the mud and remembers the, remember the way God has been good to us. I can see it in some of your eyes and I feel it as well. But what David is saying is even in the midst of that, God was there, he saw it, it wasn't lost on him. And he's done all of these other things for us, like put tables in front of us. And one day, that brokenness is going to be gone. It's going to pass away, and we will be ushered into something that we never could hope, experience, or understand. But God's promise is that he wants every single one of us to be there. If we commit our life to Jesus and follow him, it's not about a king coming to get servants. It's about a king who came and his kingdom to serve others and inviting them into that dynamic and into that relationship. So this is my charge for every single one of us today. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're totally, totally not sure who he is, is to take some time this week and look back. Look back and remember, go to those moments where life was hard and you were struggling and see the ways that God pressed in. Ask him, if you don't remember, say, Lord, I don't remember this this way. The way Adam talks about it, that was not my experience. So if you're real and you're true, you show me the way that you showed up. Grab a journal, write it down. Write down the ways that you thought he left you, the ways that he abandoned you, the way that you felt angry, put it all out there. And then you say, Lord, if this is true, if this is not right, I need you to step in and show me. And I really believe, maybe not in that moment, maybe coming, he will step in and he will show you exactly where he was. He will show you the moment he was there, the way he pressed into you, or even if it's just the way that he saw you and it was not lost on him what you were going through. I heard something this weekend. It said, if you sit in the problem long enough, you will find the answer. I think we could change that up a little bit to say this. If you sit in Psalm 23 long enough, I think God will show you the answer. I'm not saying it happens immediately. Sometimes I think pastors make these promises that you're going to go home, you're going to read it, you're going to pray, and all of a sudden from heaven, that's not always how it works, and that's okay. Because even in those moments, there is goodness and mercy that David is talking about. What I know from my experience and what the king says is this is what he wants every single one of us to walk into. This is what he wants all of us to experience. But we have a part to play in making that happen. So my encouragement to you this week, take some time, do your part, put in a little bit of the effort because I believe if we do, Jesus will show up at some point and let us in on how the goodness and mercy that David talked about that he experienced how every single one of us can walk into. Let's pray.
Oh, gosh, Lord, I am so thankful for just the way you open my eyes to things. I know that I am not good at looking back and remembering, but I'm thankful for your faithfulness, which prompts it, which throws it into my mind. And I really believe the reality, the only part we have to play is to put in some effort to say that we want to draw close to you and step back and watch how you show up. I know it doesn't always happen the way we think it should, but I can think back of moments in my life where I did this and I didn't catch it at the time. But there was a moment, there was a time where you showed up in a big way and I got to experience you and understand your heart towards me and my hope and my prayer for every single one of us as we've closed out Psalm 23 and what David wrote that we will take some time to do that and then you will step up. You will show in a big way and I believe with all my heart you do because what I know, not from what I've seen or heard but from what you've said is that you are a good shepherd and you pursue us because you want us to be justified and then walk with us as we go through this process of sanctification of becoming more like you. Maybe we all will know and experience a little bit more as we leave here today. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna sing a song now called Yesterday, Today, and Forever. And my favorite part of this song, there's a line where it says, oh my soul, remember who you're singing to. The only reason any of this matters is because who it is that we're singing to do. And I pray that as you sing, my hope for you is that would wash over you come to a little bit better of understanding who that is. Let's stand.
thousand times I've tried, oh, your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all things. I give you control Consume me from the inside out Lord, let justice and praise Become my embrace To love you from the inside out
Yeah, you can. For surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, there's something God wants to do to every single one of us. It's part of that song is he wants to start this process where he's consuming us in the best kind of way. And when that happens, something changes and it comes out of us. Some of you feel that now. And my encouragement with you is to talk somebody, stop at the hub, talk to one of us because something's happening inside of you and that needs to come out. And I don't know what it looks like, but I know if you start to walk into it, God's going to start to do something in your life. And I really believe there's going to be moments where it's hard, but there's also going to be ways where you're going to never want to go back because of what he's done. <laughs> um, real quick, this is our last uh, Psalm 23. We've got a quick video we want to show you to what we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. It's only a quick minute, so you can have a seat. Let's watch this together, and then we will close out our morning. Jesus asked people many questions about what they believe, what they longed for, and how they saw the world. It was Jesus who would ask most of the questions of others, and there were a small handful of ones that he would answer. Even when asked, Jesus would answer back with more questions for consideration. So we're gonna look at three questions that Jesus asked over 2,000 years ago. So I have a question for you. Could these questions be relevant to our lives today? I mean, I know from my perspective, they are. No laugh? Come on, guys, let's go. Hey, thanks for being here with us. Have a fantastic Sunday, and hopefully we'll see you back here next week as we open up with questions for you. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.